Well, welcome back. My name is Perry Moffmer, and I am the founder and creator of the Potential Leader Lab. So we're going to talk on human potential today and why it matters and how important it is for each and every one of us. So I'm going to start us off with three quotes to think about it. The first one is Ralph Waldo Emerson. The only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. Next, William Perkey. Human potential, though not always apparent, is there waiting to be discovered and invited forth. And finally, Pope John XXIII. Consult not your fears, but your hopes and your dreams. Think not about your frustrations, but about your unfilled potential. Concern yourself not with what you tried and failed in, but with what is still possible for you to do. So definite theme, right, between those things. With Emerson, it's about deciding who you want to be from a destiny standpoint. With William Perkey, it's what's there waiting to be discovered and invited forth. And then finally with Pope John the Twenty-Third. He talks about your unfulfilled potential and don't concern yourself with what your past is, but look forward into what's possible. And that's really what human potential is and why it's central to what I do, because I believe it's all there inside of us all the time. Even if you're currently a leader, there's greater potential there and it has to be realized because the world outside of us demands more. The people we care about need different things from us in the future. The organizations we lead will change and we have to change with them. And that's why I believe that human potential is directly tied to leadership. And I define leadership in the broadest way possible as the opportunity and responsibility of positively impacting the emotional and cognitive states of those we care about. Now, very important to me on the end of that, people we care about, because I don't believe you can lead if you don't care about people. But by the very definition of the word potential, it's not, it's something that hasn't yet come to fruition. It's defined as what's possible, something you're capable of, something you haven't yet actualized or realized. It's something that can be developed. Potential refers to a currently unrealized ability. It's really important to understand the definition of potential because it tells us that it's not something that is yet known. It's an unknown, something you aspire towards knowing. So, we all have potential within us, always. We're never done. We're never finished. We're never through evolving. You know, the, the E3 method, explore, experiment, evolve, we're never through. Evolution never is complete. And your potential is not tied to your performance. It's tied to the learning, the actualizing, what you accomplish while you're in the arena. So performance is a measurement, but it's not potential. You are not that. You are not your performance, right? Your potential is always there inside of you. So whatever you do, it's data. It enables us to understand where we're at in the process. You know, potential, it's funny, it's defined as latent qualities or abilities that may be developed and lead to future success or usefulness. Now, think about that. May be developed. So there, go back to existentialism, there's a choice. We always have a choice because it doesn't, it doesn't say potential has to be developed. It doesn't say it must be developed. It says it may be developed. So what are we going to do? What choice are you going to make? 
because it's heavy lifting. There's no no two ways around it. It's it's dangerous. It's not fun. It's tiring. It's exhausting. But you have to ask if it's worth it. And it's a it's a very human potential is a unique journey because the journey and the goal are both the point. You know, Cervantes says the journey is the end. Right? There's no the, the journey, the actual journey we're on and the goal are intertwined. One's not more important than the other. And if we make it all about a goal, it's just it's just like pursuing it's like it's like pursuing something we'll never catch. It's like trying to catch up and run to the horizon. The closer you get, the further it, it never it never gets any closer, right? So there's a sense of frustration. And there shouldn't be, because it's about progress, not perfection. In, in other words, we're never going to get something. We're never going to accomplish anything. That's not what we're here to do. The goal is to live in a way that's congruent with the best version of yourself, a you that you're proud of every day. That's it. One day at a time. Was I proud of myself? The, was I proud of the person I was today? And was I, was I evolved from the person I was yesterday? Am I making progress according to my own expectations? The truth is we don't know what the limit to our potential is. In a practical sense, the brain can continue to grow and change for our entire lives. But awakening human potential isn't really about the process of development or neuroplasticity. It's about seeing an ideal self in alignment with your core values and then working every day to be just that. These other things are tools, right? So you have to have clarity around what you're trying to evolve into. And then align that with your core values, not someone else's, not ones you picked up on the internet, but figure out what you believe in, who you want to be, who folks around you that you care about, who do they need, what do they need from you. You know, it's not just critical for us, it's critical for our society. I mean, if you go all the way back to uh, Adam Smith and Wealth of Nations, he so eloquently shared that quote, our individual need to fulfill self-interest results in societal benefit. Our individual need to fulfill self-interest results in societal benefit. So if you become the very best version of you, it benefits society. So essentially, he was talking about capitalism, but essentially what happens is if we all focus on doing the very best we can, it helps everybody. A rising tide raises all boats. If we all strive to become that which we can, we empower others to do the same as well as contribute to our highest and best point because you're serving as an example. So if you're striving to do the best and become the best person you can, you're also giving permission to other people to do the same. Not only permission, you're actually challenging them to do it. Now, again, not an event, it's a process. We're never going to be done. That's why E3 is a process. It's circular. Feeds on itself. Explore, experiment, evolve. Explore, experiment, evolve. I, and I understand that the concept can be a little tiring, but there's so much value in it. There's so much inherent value for you and those close to you. So it, the best way I can describe this is through the myth of Sisyphus. Now, if you want to look it up, you can. And, and so I'm just going to summarize for you. It's, a, it's an ancient myth. And Sisyphus did something to anger the gods. And I believe he stole death's wife in the myth. But regardless, he was going to be punished for eternity. 
So death went and got Sisyphus and took him to the underworld, plopped him down in front of a mountain, gave him this huge boulder and said, push it to the top of the hill. And Sisyphus did. And then the rock rolled back down the hill. And Sisyphus trudged back down the hill, got behind the rock, rolled it up the hill. Rock rolled down the hill. You see where this is going, right? For eternity, that was, that was the job Sisyphus had. Now, when they wrote that myth, it was to represent eternal frustration. You know, I'm constantly doing something that never ends. I'm pushing a rock to the top of the hill, it rolls down the hill. Push a rock to the top of the hill, it rolls down the hill. Now, think about it. Does that sound like anybody you know? Does it sound like getting up every morning and going to work? And while we strive to, you know, retire and go on, quote unquote, and go in retirement or vacation because we create lives that we need breaks from. And I'll get to that later. That's a whole nother thing. But this story stayed this story and the intent stayed the intent until 1940s. Till a, frex, a French, excuse me, a French existentialist named Albert Camus decided he was going to do another take on the myth of Sisyphus. And you can read it. It's one page. You can find it on the internet. Essentially, to sum it up, what Camus said was this. He saw Sisyphus at the top of the hill, covered in mud and sweat and blood from pushing that huge boulder up the hill. He's standing at the top, watching the boulder roll down the hill. And at that moment, Sisyphus was happy. At that moment, Sisyphus was happy because he had achieved his goal. He got the rock to the top of the hill. It didn't matter that it was rolling back down the hill. It didn't matter that he had to go back down and roll it up again. What mattered was at that moment, he was happy. Now, I take that to heart because I believe we all need to find our rock. We need to find that thing that we love pushing up the hill. Because we should never want for our rock to be done. We should never want for our rock to be gone. We should always stand, be able to stand at the top of the hill, watching the rock roll back down the hill. And at that moment, we should be happy. We should be satisfied. Not frustrated. It changes the world when you change the way you think about it. I tell people all the time, they say, well, I, I want to be happy. I want to be less frustrated. I want to be, you know, I want to be fill in the blank. My statement to back to them is always the same. Okay, then do that right now. You want to be happy? Be happy. Being happy is a mental state. It's not an outcome. You want to be less frustrated? Be less frustrated. Stop thinking about the things. It's all within our power to do. But we have to change the way we look at things because once we change the way we're looking at it, things change. We get, we get, unfortunately, we have this concept that we're waiting for the world to change to the way we want it to be, and that's what success will be. Well, the world doesn't give a shit what you want. Never has, never will. And, by the way, you have never been, you are not now, nor will you ever be in control of the world. All the frustration we feel, typically, is because the world does not bend to our will. Now think about it. When you go to work, when you get up in the morning, we all have this concept of how the day is going to go. And crazily enough, typically it's everything in our mind is going to go exactly the way we plan it to go. Now, 
That's the, the dumbest thing I've ever heard because it never happens. So we're setting ourselves up for failure. But when we, when we get out into the world and things start to not go the way we want them to, we somehow get frustrated because a person's not doing the thing we want them to do, a situation isn't working out the same, all of those things. Now, what Stoicism would tell you is that events are neutral and suffering begins when we assign meaning to an event. Somebody says something to you, you get a ticket, uh, anything, anything that happens, the event itself is neutral. How you decide to react to it will result in whatever emotional state you find yourself in. So again, you control, you're in charge if you want to be. Now, if you don't want to be, that's fine too. I don't judge. I just want everybody to own the decision. I want you to realize that you have a choice. Even when it's not the choice you want, you still have it. Now, let's get back in the lab. Leadership is not simply a position or job title bestowed on you. Being a great leader takes commitment, resilience, and the ability to be adaptive. The E3 framework will help you reimagine everything you thought you knew about leadership and unlock the leadership potential that's inside you. Head to PotentialLeaderLab.com backslash hashtag opt in and sign up today. I'll be back to the lab right after this. So what this is all about is finding out what's actually worth doing. It's not about the quality of the thing you're developing. It's about what you become as a result. Right? So you have to figure out what's worth doing and then focus on what is becoming? You know, I always, I always thought it was funny. We should never be called human beings. We should be called human becomings because we should always look at that evolution part. What are we becoming? What are we, what are we evolving into? What is our goal? Because if we don't have one, then what are we doing? If we're not, if we're not exercising choice, then what are we doing? You have to ask yourself the question. So, and all this leads to a, you know, a certain amount of maturity. You know, it's, it's kind of a strength, a strength of mind and heart that makes us capable of handling whatever slings and arrows life hurls at us and becoming stronger as a result. So we have to keep asking ourselves, what can we become? What can we evolve into? How do we recognize our potential? Now, I will, go, I will tell you, in order to recognize potential, you have to have some kind of goal in mind. You have to have some target that you're shooting for. Remember that it, evolution works in biology because there's only one goal, propagation of the species. So everything that happens only happens as a result of making it easier for that species to reproduce. So that's why evolution works is because there's absolute clarity. You just have to figure out for yourself how to give yourself that clarity. What are you trying to reach? What mountain are you trying to climb? Why are you trying to climb it? Answer those questions for yourself. And again, it's, it's deep work. It's heavy, it's heavy lifting. I get it. And that's why most people avoid it because it's uncomfortable. It's a struggle. I'm not just a, you know, what's the old, uh, I think his name was Cy, I forget what his name was, the guy who uh, was the head of uh, Hair Club for Men, he said, I'm not just the president, I'm a member. Same thing applies here. I'm, I'm doing the same thing. This is not, 
I'm not telling you this because I've got this shit figured out. That's not it at all. I don't have it figured out. I'm figuring it out as I go. I'm in it. I'm just inviting others to join me. That's it. You don't have to, you don't have to know anything. You don't have to have any answers. In fact, the most dangerous thing in the world is the right answer to the wrong question. Because most of us are asking ourselves the wrong question. So we got to ask ourselves, what are we, what are we going to become? So this goes to a little bit back to a couple of different concepts, uh, anti-fragility. So, um, uh, uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb wrote a book called anti-fragile, really fascinating book. Talk about some heavy lifting to read a book. I had to, I can only read like three pages at a time cause I stopped and thought about it and had to reread what he wrote. Cause he's a, he's a really smart dude, but the concept is fairly simple. And the concept, he said, the opposite of strong, the opposite of fragile is not strong. So we think about this. We think, okay, if you're not fragile, you're strong. He's like, nope, not it. It's a miss. What he said was, you know, anti-fragile things are things that break easily, right? They don't respond positively to pressure. So his concept is strong resists change, resists pressure, resists force. He said that's not the opposite of fragile. The opposite of fragile is anti-fragile. Anti-fragile are things that benefit from shock. They grow stronger when challenged. They don't resist it. They actually absorb it and grow stronger as a result of it. The best example I can give you is our immune system. The human immune system is anti-fragile. Supposedly, the theory is the more you shock it, the stronger it becomes. Now, we focus most of our efforts on becoming stronger to resist shock which doesn't work because, again, go back to the world doesn't care what you want and the world's going to win all the time. The world is a, and you know, you can, there's a great clip out there from Rocky Balboa, um, the, not the, the last one before he started in with the Creed stuff, is that he and his son are outside and he said the world is a, a hard place and it'll, it'll, it'll take you down and keep you down because nothing's stronger than the world. And that's it. We're not going to win that battle. What our goal is to become anti-fragile from a potential standpoint, because we're going to get shocks to the system. Things aren't going to go as we plan them to go. So we have to be able to absorb those shocks and get and bounce back stronger than we were. Our mindset has to be anti-fragile. It has to welcome shocks to the system. That's what makes us grow because we're going to suffer a ton of defeats. If we do the explore experiment of all, if we're in E3 all the time, experiments require failure. And back to, you know, the, the, and I forget his name, but the gentleman's the head of the design studio at Stanford. It takes 2000 ideas to bring one idea to market. That's 1,999 mistakes, bad ideas, but we needed those to get the good idea. Seth Godin, uh, he's a great author and a marketer. He said, I've written a ton of bad books, but those bad books enable me to write good books. His thing is just ship it, ship it, ship the work. Don't focus on quality all the time. You can't just focus on putting out one great thing. That's not what, that's not what our potential, we can't realize our potential by trying to figure it out in the, in the privacy of our own home and then come out fully formed. Leadership is about risk. Leadership is about failure. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being right. It's about the human condition. It's about raising other people up so they can do their best work. 
There's this awesome definition of leadership by David Foster Wallace. And he said, leaders are those who help others overcome their own selfishness, weakness, laziness, and fear to do better, more important work than they could ever do on their own. They help them overcome their selfishness, laziness, weakness, and fear. Selfishness, laziness, weakness, and fear to help them do better work than they could ever do alone. That's leadership because we all have it. We got a long list of things that we're fearful about, weaknesses that we have. We're all inherently selfish. And to be honest, we're, we're pretty fucking lazy in general. We like to stay busy, but we don't do the hard work. We push the hard work off. The hard work is the work we're talking about. The hard work is, is figuring this shit out for yourself and then helping other people figure it out for them. This is the meaningful work. We're always busy. We got, we got tons of shit to check off a list. We got tons of to-do lists. And then we feel good at the end of the day because we did a lot. Checked off everything on my list. But did you do the thing that mattered? That truly mattered to you and other people that you care about? Are you moving things forward? Are you moving the world forward? Now, this, all of this talk of potential comes from the 70s, you know, back to the human potential movement, humanistic psychology. And, you know, I've talked about Maslow before, but he was the kind of the, the king of that and the transpersonal positive psychology, call it what you will. Um, but human potential is the possibilities of human beings capable of accomplishing something. You know, take it a bit further. You think about comfort zone, fear zone, learning zone, growth zone. You know, you stay in your comfort zone. You've seen this. You've heard it. You've seen the diagrams. You get a choice. And again, I can't stress enough. I don't care what your choice is. You just have to own that choice. Do not, do not start down the road of bad faith. And that's defined by existentialists as bad faith is the epitome of saying I don't have a choice. I had to, someone made me, I was left with no other choice. It's all bullshit. You always have a choice, even when it's not the choice you want. Just own it. Make the choice and move on. But we often give up that power. We're willing to step back and go, ah, what else was I going to do? How do you give up that power? Why would you give up that power? You have to choose growth over and over again. You have to choose being uncomfortable because that's the only time you're going to evolve. Growth hurts. It's painful. It's mentally painful. It's emotionally painful. Sometimes you ever, I mean, if any of you have ever done anything, if you've ever gone to see a trainer, do you ever walk out of a session with a trainer and go, I love that person. It's so much fun hanging out with them. Hell no, you don't. It hurts. It physically hurts. Because you've torn your muscles. And that, that's how you grow muscles, by the way. They tear and then new layers grow back on top of it to make them bigger. It's literally physiologically how your muscles grow. The same thing goes for any other growth you're going to have. It's not going to come easy. If we're trying to find an easy way to become a leader, if we're trying to find an easy way to evolve, we're, we're looking at the wrong thing. It's heavy lifting hurts. Scary. It's embarrassing. Because the think about this, if you explore new concepts and you experiment with new behaviors, because that's really what we're talking about, because essentially that's all we are is a set of behaviors. 
So if we choose to behave differently in a situation that we've in a, in a typical situation where we have a comfortable way to respond and we're going to choose something that's different, it's really uncomfortable. And by the way, it's not going to work the first 10 times you do it because you're not used to it. So it's going to be real. This is an, a, this is a real scientific term. It's going to be clunky. It's going to, it's going to feel clunky. Now it's going to feel much clunkier to you than other people. You're going to think other people like, Oh my God, what's this person doing? They, they don't really care. They don't notice. They don't pay that much attention to you. To be honest, we all have that problem. It's like when we get embarrassed, it's because we think everybody's looking at us and most people are really concerned with themselves. And so it's kind of funny. Uh, most people don't care that much about us to think about us that much, but you have to deal with it because it's your emotional state, but you have to put yourself out there because if you never change your behavior, you never change. If, and that starts with what you believe about yourself and other people. So you have to get to that point. You, you really have to get to the point where you're willing to put yourself in that place, in that place of uncomfortable, in that place of fear, in that place of embarrassment. So I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Uh, Maslow, the, the, one of the founders of the humanistic psychology, you're all familiar with this hierarchy of human needs. And the top of that pyramid is self-actualization. But that really wasn't where he settled. Later in his work, he said it was really self-transcendence. And he said that uh, people that are self-transcendent are defined by peak experiences. And I want you to listen to this because this is how he defined peak experiences. Feelings of limitless horizons opening up to the vision the feeling of being simultaneously more powerful and also more helpless than one has ever been before, the feeling of great ecstasy and wonder and awe, the loss of placing in time and space, with, finally, the conviction that something extremely important and valuable had happened, so that the subject is to some extent transformed and strengthened even in his daily life by such experiences. That's some heavy shit. I mean, just think about some of those things. The feeling of great ecstasy and wonder and awe, the loss of placing time in time and space with, finally, the conviction that something extremely important and valuable had happened. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what connects us to each other? Do we want, do we want more pay? Do we want nicer stuff? Do we want a fancier car? Do we want to we want to live in a different zip code? Is that is that this? Is that that's is that something extremely important and valuable had happened? Uh-uh. That's the hedonic treadmill. That's a whole other thing. You can look that up on your own. Just look up hedonic treadmill. People get a lot of fucking exercise on the hedonic treadmill. Let me tell you. This is what as humans what we want. We want these peak experiences. But you have to attend to the whole person, the emotional, the intellectual, the spiritual. And to be your true self means to be and take responsibility for it on all levels. You have to, you have, to have certain things, right? You have to work on yourself. You have to have psychological flexibility. So psychological flexibility is remaining in the present moment, staying open to experiencing whatever thoughts and feelings show up, if you want to qualify them as good or bad, which they aren't, they just are, but staying open and experiencing whatever shows up, 
not trying to get rid of the bad feelings and only take the good feelings, and then taking action in service of our values. So again, emotions are critical. They're very, very important. We should never want to suppress or remove or avoid or discard them. They're tremendously important, but they're indicators of what's important to us. So what we have to do with the emotion is make sure that when we feel something, we dig into it to figure out why we feel that way and act on that, not on the emotion itself. If we're angry, why are we angry? Let's act on the why we're angry, not the anger itself. They're tremendously, that's part of psychological flexibility. We have to be able to do that in the moment. And then we have to be able to, these are things that drive emotional resilience. So again, emotional resilience, very, very important because we're emotional animals. All right. So cognitive agility, the extent to which we adapt and shift our thought processes for the benefit of ourselves, our teams, and our organizations. Now think about that. The extent to which we adapt and shift our thought processes for the benefit of ourselves, our teams, and our organizations. When's the last time you did that? When you adapted or shifted your thought process? Cognitive agility. You can look these things up. I mean, I did, so you can too. Emotional regulation. The extent to which we regulate our emotions to stay calm and collected. Again, we don't let our emotions drive our behavior. We feel them. We just use them differently. You know, there's, there's two techniques you can use for emotional regulation, actually. They're, they're pretty easy, right? They're really easy. One is empathy, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And the second is creating a pause where you slow down and get curious, not judgmental. Now, There could be a whole, we could spend a whole half hour on the difference between empathy and sympathy. I truly believe, I'll tell you right now, the biggest problem we have in our society today is a lack of empathy. It's just gone. We just don't fucking care about each other. And empathy and sympathy are are fundamentally different. Sympathy is that you're sharing the emotion of the other person. You're joining them. You don't have to do that. Empathy is simply understanding that they have a fundamental different experience and a right to that experience and the emotions that come with it. That's it. Why is that so hard? Just, just understand that people, everybody's coming from someplace different and they don't see the world like you see it. They're entitled to that. You don't have to agree with it, but you have to let them have it. And, and God forbid you actually learn something from listening to them. And the second is, Slow the fuck down. Ask questions. You can't judge and love somebody at the same time. So you, if you could just take a sticky note and put on or write on your hand. I, I, have, a, I have a client. Um, I love this about him. He was a, he owned his own company, and every time I met with him, I would notice he had uh, writing on the palm of his hand. And so his practice was every morning when he got up, what, if he had things he needed to do that were really important, he would actually write them on the palm of his hand. That was, that was awesome because his hand was always with him. Now, unfortunately, if he got sweaty or something, it would rub, the ink would rub off. But it would, I would always see he'd have like two or three things written on the palm of his hand, which I thought was an awesome way to do it. It's better than a sticky note. But just slow down and ask questions. So when somebody comes up to you and and you feel the urge to judge or give an answer or tell them they're wrong or whatever that might be, ask some questions. What's it going to hurt to take five minutes and be curious? 
That's what great leaders do. They're always curious because if we're curious, it means we want to learn. We want to understand. We want to help people understand. But we know it starts with us because we don't know everything. It's amazing to me because the when you see great athletes, and I'm sure you guys have heard this, you watch a, you watch a game and um, you'll frequently hear the person on the TV, uh, the color commentator say something like, the game is slowing down for them. And if you've ever experienced that, it's pretty awesome, right? Because it actually is a slowing of time. Things move slower because you see things differently. That's what leader. That's the point of leadership. Leadership is being in a situation where the world has slowed down for you, so that you can help other people see things more clearly. But you can't be involved in it. You can't be engaged in it. You can't be the hustle and bustle busyness syndrome of I have twenty things to do. I mean, I don't know how many people you ask. How are you? Busy. I mean, just do me a favor for the next couple of days. Just keep a keep a, keep a running tab on how many times you ask somebody, "Hey, how's it going?" And their response is, "Oh, I'm busy. I'm busy." That's not, that shouldn't be our goal. That doesn't product, productivity and busyness are not the same thing. What we should be focused on is what's meaningful. We should have we should want less to do. We should try to be more lazy. Do fewer things that are more meaningful. Do you know what's funny? The word priority was not plural until the 1950s. Because by its very definition, it should not be plural. Priority is the most important thing. How can there be more than one? Because if everything's important, nothing's important. And that's what happens to organizations. They have multiple priorities. We wear people out because we're focused on getting a lot of stuff done instead of doing stuff that's meaningful. So as a leader, the number one thing you do is provide clarity. And you can't give clarity if you don't have clarity. And you need clarity to find your potential. Your potential requires absolute clarity. So real quickly, I'm going to give you the rest of these. uh, To drive emotional resilience, there are five things. We talked about cognitive agility, emotional regulation, self-compassion. Oh, boy. (laughs) Self-compassion. Give yourself a break. Give yourself some grace. You are not perfect. So just stop it. Do me a favor, by the way. Uh, Google Bob Newhart, stop it, and watch that video. Funniest video you've ever seen. But just stop it. And I realize that's stupid to say that because if we could just stop it, we would. But we have to start understanding these things for ourselves. These are the things that are meaningful. Maybe maybe they're just meaningful to me, but I'm going to tell you, I see it in every organization I work with. It's the human component. Humans show up at work. Humans do their best work when they feel good. There's science to back it up. Nobody ever feels shitty and does great work. I don't care if you, I don't care if you like that or not. I don't care if, if you don't care about that or not. But I'm going to tell you right now, nobody ever feels like shit or is made to feel like shit 
and does good work. Nobody gets screamed at by a client or their boss and goes away going, I'm going to do my best work now. So like it or not, as a leader, the better you make people feel. Now, this is not a rose-colored glasses, Pollyanna bullshit thing. We have to have tough conversations with people about their potential, about our own potential. We have to be critical. But we can, it's not about what you do. It's about how you do it. It's all about intent. If your intent is to help and build somebody up, they'll listen. They'll listen to whatever you have to say if they believe you're there to help them. That's what this is about. That's what leadership is about. It's about intent. It isn't about what you do. It's about how you do it and why you do it. What you do is management, which is, by the way, critically important. We need great management in organizations. It's what makes the economic engine run. I don't take anything away from that. But you just you can be a great manager and a bad leader. You can be a great manager and a great leader. You can be a bad manager and a great leader. You can be bad at both. They're not, you don't have to choose one or the other. They're different skill sets. So the last two things, because I'm getting off on tangents, but I, I will tell you some of these things turn into a rant, and I don't apologize because it's, it's my podcast. I can talk about what I want to talk about. You don't want to listen, don't listen. So we have cognitive agility, emotional regulation, self-compassion, optimism, hopefulness and confidence about the future. That's a struggle. I, I can tell you right now it's a struggle for me. I struggle with depression. And so optimism is not something I'm square. That it, It's a work. It's work for me. Because I'm always looking at, I, I truly believe that oftentimes if too many good things happen, something bad's going to happen to even it out. That's the way I live my life. So I, I, I honestly don't feel good about, I try to not let myself feel good about things because I feel if I do that, nothing bad will happen. That's fucked up, but that's the way I live. It's not the way I'm going to live, but it's the way I have lived, and I'm working at it. And the last one, and most important, and the thing from a leadership standpoint that you need to show other people is, how to, is self-efficacy. And this is a really important concept that you should know about. And it's the extent to which we feel we have control or personal agency over our lives and events. Self-efficacy is our own individual belief that we can be successful. This is at the root of what holds people back. They don't believe they're capable of success. They don't, they don't have a high degree of self-efficacy. You have to show them that they can win. You have to show them that they can achieve. You have to show them that they can be successful. Everybody wants it. Nobody doesn't want to be successful. Nobody doesn't want to feel better about themselves. That's what leadership, one of the core pieces of leadership is showing people they can do this. Not judge, be curious. So, final thoughts. It's heavy lifting, but it's work that needs to be done. Absolutely needs to be done by somebody. Doesn't have to be you. Somebody's got to do it. It's also why so few people actually do it because it's hard work. There's a, I, I love this quote and I'll leave you with this. All can, most won't, you do. So my final question to you, will you be one of the few? I'll see you in the lab. <laughs>